Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is a special edition pop-up show to set up the second round. Lots to talk about, including some local news with uh, Elliot Friedman tweeting today that uh, he believes the Winnipeg Jets and Barry Trotz are meeting uh, to discuss the potential for Barry Trotz to be the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. More exciting news I could not uh, predict for Jets fans if that were to happen. Lots to talk about. Uh, Ken was going to start the show like this. I popped him out of the show because I wanted to hear the song. I bet you want to hear it too. Let's get out of here. Here comes Kenny. Kenny, my friend, it wasn't two holes in one today, but it was, what was it, three birdies on uh, on the round, which was uh, a smoking round for you. Other than a little bit of falling apart on the ninth hole, you had an absolutely great day out on the course today. Yeah, fun day at Maplewood uh, today, Sean, for sure. We had a good uh, good group, media group. Uh, Mike McIntyre, Scott Billick joined us. Uh, season low 80 was solid three birdies that not a lot of days with three birdies on the card that's for sure and uh you had a nice finish yourself uh i like the way you finished you finished strong you got it going late which was always a good sign yeah three pars to close it out i won't tell anyone what happened before those three pars (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just enough for me to say hey maybe there's something here maybe there's something here but uh keep it coming back for more keep it coming back for more yeah, hey, we just want to say we really appreciate everyone joining us. And Lynn Reimer says she loves these K&R pop-up shows. We love them too. Turd Ferguson says he hates the time slot, though. He always has to pick up the kids. And we need to move this to an hour later just for him. Okay, we'll do that. Just for you, Turd, we'll do that. Uh, no, I, I know you're just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's it's good for us to get back. Uh, we love doing this and want to remind everybody that we're going to be doing, for the next round of the Winnipeg Ice, we're going to be doing another show to tee that up, which is going to be an absolutely phenomenal series between the Winnipeg Ice and the Edmonton Oil Kings. That is going to be a barn burr of a series. The Winnipeg Ice are in tight, uh, but boy, they you know what, Ken? They just continue to surprise me more and more of that team. Uh, and some of their young guys just keep, t- you know, Zachary Benson. I mean, did he end up in fourth in scoring in in uh, after that last round? And I, I was looking anyways. The, the last game that they played, he was fourth in scoring, just turned 17. The three guys ahead of him in the standings in W. WHL playoff scoring are a first round pick and two second round picks, all of them two years older than Zachary Benson. He is absolutely popping eyes wide open. Uh, Again, we just got to say this. If you haven't been checking out what's happening with the Winnipeg ice, 
get down there and check it out. There's something special going on with that team. You're seeing a lot of performances from guys you're going to be paying a lot of money to see at the NHL level in not too short of a time. So go check that out. Other than that, Ken, let's get to the news of the day before we get into, you know, settle into the show. And our guest that we're going to have, Eric Francis, is going to be joining us uh, from Sportsnet in Calgary to talk a little bit about the Battle of Alberta. And then later, we're going to have Hammy and Scott Billick come on and join us just to talk about the second round and get into our picks. I thought I did pretty darn good. I went six for eight in my picks and i finished third or or fourth <laughs> in in the pick so we did a good job here you, you're tuning in to the right guys to talk about this but let's get to barry trotz um hey, ken, I seven and one for me seven and one for me seven and one for ken we'll get into that billick did seven and one as well i'm not sure about hammy but um uh let's get into the news of the day with barry yep. trotz i had said you know to me this is a little bit of a, a nothing burger news because I was fully expecting. I mean, if you're the Jets and you're not checking in with Barry Trotz, what the heck is going on here? Um, I, I thought that this was, you know, we were kind of waiting to hear this news. You don't see it that way. How do you see this? Well, the reason why I think it is bigger news than what uh, you maybe thought predominantly, Sean, to me, if Barry Trotz had had questions about whether or not he wants to coach, the fact that he's willing to go to the table with the Winnipeg Jets would suggest that we should have the answer to that question and it's what i had mentioned i mean i think that barry is kind of wired to coach and sure there may have been some things that he's been going through but the fact that the jets were able to get him to the table i think that's an important step in this process and the reason why i think it's an important step is because of what i said the last couple of weeks i don't think money will be an impediment if you get the person to the table and you are able to try to relay your vision to that person then all it comes down to is whether or not he, the player, person in the individual in this case, who is Barry Trotz, sees a fit. And then you got to work out the financials. And the fact that Barry was, you know, is considered to wanting to get into management afterward. I mean, could could there be a situation where you take a three-year deal as a coach and then see what happens after that? Maybe there's an ability to move into more of a management role after that. Uh, that to me would maybe be part of the appeal for the Jets job for Barry Trotz. But I mean, ultimately, they got to get the deal signed and sealed and delivered in order for it to be a success. But uh, the fact that the Jets are able to get a seat at the table, I mean, Barry Trotz, we know, is a coach in demand. So uh, I don't think that he's just taking interviews for the for the sake of taking interviews. I think to me, this means that Barry would be interested Right. If Barry's not interested in Winnipeg, he waits for the other offers and the other teams to step to the table. Uh, we know he wanted to take a week's time, which was Monday to Monday, basically. Uh, the fact that the Jets were able to get the interview set up and have Barry at the table, I would say, is a, a step in you know in the direction the Jets organization hopes that this turns out to be. So, uh, to me, not a done deal by any stretch. But we know there's another vacancy on the market. After yesterday, with Pete, Pete DeBoer being relieved of his duties by the Vegas Golden Knights, um, we'll see where this goes from here. Uh, but I think it is an important step in the process. And to me, if Barry's not interested in Winnipeg at all, he declines the interview, don't you think? No. And here's really? why. Here, here's why I think this is because, um, like, this is gonna, this is going to be interesting because with Vegas, I agree with you, a hundred percent. I think Vegas fired Pete DeBoer thinking that they're going to get Barry Trotz. Uh, here's the thing: the, the, the Jets, the, like, I don't know if the Jets are a perfect fit for Barry Trotz. But I do think Barry Trotz would look at the Jets and say, all their deficiencies, all the things they need to turn around, I can do that. 
I've done it before. I'm very confident in myself. I can do that. So I think that the, the Jets are a fit for Barry Trotz in the way that he, I think he looks at that team. He, he thinks I can get that team to win. I can get them to turn around. And to be quite honest, if you take a look at what they had in their roster with the New York Islanders, I think it's an upgraded roster. Um, you know, you have a phenomenal goaltender, tons of scoring, you know, Maybe there's some issues uh, that need to be taken care of in the dressing room. That, that's what he does. That's what he's really good at. So they're a fit for, for him. But there's also other teams out there that I think if I'm him, I'm sitting back and I'm taking a look at, okay, what are the different rosters that I can look at here? And Vegas is intriguing, right? Because you take a look at what's there and hit, hey, Jack Eichel. I could be the coach that turns Jack Eichel around and makes him look like the guy that everyone thought he was going to look like. And if I do that, you know, I've got Mark Stone, who's phenomenal defensively, who I can, you know, figure stuff out with him. And I got a great goaltender there as well. And I've got a lot of really good defense. So I, I, I and I still think to this degree, um, a team to watch out for in this is the Florida Panthers. If the Florida Panthers go down in the second round to the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's the second straight year they couldn't get over the hump against that team. So I'm not so sure that they come back with Andrew Brunette and if you don't come back with that I just take a look at that roster and think they are the most Stanley Cup ready roster in the NHL that doesn't have a coach so maybe you jump for that but here's the reason why you don't say no to the Winnipeg Jets if you're not um if you're not necessarily interested in taking that job and I do think he has interest in the job but let's just play devil's advocate and say I have no interest in going to the Winnipeg Jets I keep looking at the number that Mike Babcock was able to land with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I believe it was eight years at $5.85 million. To me, there's, I'm not, I won't say I'm surprised because I'm not sure it gets there, but Barry Trotz, in my mind, from what he's done, should walk out of this with as much interest from as many different teams as there are out there, should walk away from this situation being the highest paid coach in NHL history. That's what I think should be happening here. I think coaches have a massive ability to affect a team and their their winning ability, more so than a star player. So I don't understand why coaches don't get paid like star players, but Barry Trotz should walk out of this and get paid like a star player. And the Winnipeg Jets, we said this in our show when we were talking about this, they if we know everything is a fit for the Winnipeg Jets. So the Winnipeg Jets, in my mind, should be handing a blank check over to uh, Barry Trotz and saying, however many years you want, however much money you want, write it down, and we're going to make that happen. Now, I know we, we David Thompson, the richest owner uh, in, in, in hockey, um, you know, but we also know that True North doesn't just say we're just going to throw money out the door. They want to run this so it's a profitable profitable venture but I do think that they've got the ability to pay him if they want to so I do think if you're Barry Trotz if you sit down and talk to the Winnipeg Jets the talk is going to turn to money and you can always take that offer and then go to Vegas and say this is what it's going to cost you because this is what I've got here so I do think the Jets are desperate for and should be desperate for Barry Trotz. And that desperation is going to mean a really high number. And that really high number is going to be a very good starting negotiating point for Barry Trotz if he's able to take it out of this meeting and take it to places like Vegas and Florida, which, by the way, are tax-free states. Yeah, no, totally fair. But uh, Barry doesn't need a leverage play for all the things that you've already discussed, Sean. Everyone knows that Winnipeg's already interested. I mean, short of having the number in hand, I mean... I guess yes, that part of it maybe is is maybe unclear, but I don't know that Barry is trying to drive up the number. I'm not sure that Barry is in a position where he is trying to drive up the price. 
Barry's looking for the best fit for Barry. Um, so to me, I don't think that's as big a deal, but maybe that's why I'm not the greatest negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that Barry Trotz isn't just going out and taking the best offer that comes on the table. But I, I do think the more people that you get involved in this conversation, especially when there's a lot of good, interesting teams sure. out there, does put you in a position where, you know, maybe it's an added bonus that he gets in the middle of this. And, you know, you know, Kelly McCurman says, well, I heard Winnipeg said this. Or what did Winnipeg offer you? Maybe we can do right. that. And then maybe you get, you know, it's one of those things where you just want your house to go to a good owner. But if you get three <laughs> good owners and you're selling your house and they drive up a bidding war, well, I guess I'll sit by and I'll see what happens here. I'll, I'll sure. get great new owners for my house that will take care of the house that I renovated and I have sentimental value. And I'm going to make an extra forty or $50,000, which is what this market seems to be bearing. Who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, we should we should move on from that. Ken, I, I want you to just kind of summarize the first round from what you saw of it. What were the surprises for you? What what stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of great series. I mean, let's be honest here. Five out of the eight series going the distance uh, and several of them going to extra time. I mean, it's tough to win in the NHL. Like, that's what we learned. Even in a series, let's use the Flames for an example. They outshot and outchanced their opponent by a dynamic margin, yet they hung on by the skin of their teeth to advance to the second round. I mean, we talk about Dallas all the time. Sean is one of the more confusing teams in the National Hockey League, uh, the feast or famine element, but they check and they make my life miserable on their opponent. And, oh, by the way, it's not Ben Bishop in goal anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's not Anton Hudobin who got the Stars to the Stanley Cup final in the... Or in, now it's somebody else. Now it's yeah. a young guy, a first-round draft pick, a homegrown guy that's going to be there for a very long time, right? So yeah. uh, suddenly Dallas is not going away. Yeah, there's going to be some changes. John Klingberg, UFA, Radulov, UFA, but... I mean, Jason Robertson, breakout year. Rope Hintz, another great year. Jamie Benn had a great playoff, right? I and mean, and a, a real key to that Game 7 that not enough people are talking about. Rope Hintz didn't play in that Game right. 7. That was a huge loss. And I mean, I know the Calgary Flames were clearly the better team in that game. The better team won that series. But boy, oh boy, Rope Hintz had X-Factor all over him for that Game 7. And not having him in the lineup, credit to the – and and most of the credit – deserves to go to Jake Ottinger, but credit to the Dallas Stars for making that as tough of a game as it was, despite the fact they were getting overwhelmed without a guy like Rope Hintz. He's a big, massive, huge body who's got skill and shows up at the right time. That's a huge player to be missing. And Sean, you and I saw the, you know, the coming out party firsthand in that series, but a couple of years ago, Dallas and St. Louis, but man, Miro Haskinen, uh, man, how many teams would like to have Miro Haskinen? Yeah, like to, and in game seven, he was all over the ice also. I thought he was fantastic. Um, what else stood out? I mean, <laughs> Leafs and Lightning, outstanding series. Uh, we know that uh, the calls for change are happening, and I do think there are going to be some things that happen with the roster construction with the Maple Leafs, but... That's another great example. People who say experience doesn't matter. <laughs> How can you say that? You, yeah. That's just not a fact. The Leafs now, and they're, I will give them credit, Marner and Matthews had an excellent series, 
right? People can say whatever they want. Oh, they didn't score in game seven. Fine. The reason that they lost was not because their stars didn't show up. Their stars showed up big time in that series and it still wasn't enough because guess what? Who's the (laughs) Nick Paul scored twice a deadline day acquisition who had been incredibly quiet in the playoffs in terms of offense came through with the big couple of goals. I mean, Victor Hedman, big. I mean, Braden Point not being able to play in those last two periods. I mean, that was a huge blow to the Lightning, but they still found a way to get the job done. I mean, Vasilevsky was not at his best, but what did he do? He did enough to get by. He was better than the guy across from him, Uh, and that's something that we learned there. The team that impressed me the most, that I, I expected Todd McClellan to have his team ready. Todd McClellan almost had his team ready to beat the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, that they had two chances and they could not get past Connor McDavid and company, man, what an effort by, by, by the you know best player in the game right now. Uh, incredible job by McDavid to come up big in that series. And Evander Kane had a great series as well. I mean, seven goals. I mean, that, that's a big number for anyone. Uh, and that was an incredible, you know, great job by him. Leon Dreisaitl playing on one leg, getting the job done. Backhand sauce in game six to Tyson Berry. Uh, so much stood out. I love the Blues and Wild series, and I'm going to be covering the Blues and Avalanche series. Avalanche kind of steamrolled their opponent. Um, yeah, outside of that, I mean, Florida, what a scare for Florida. Florida could have been out of the series in five games, yet they won it in six and now they might back be back to being the favorite. So uh, a lot of fun stuff in this in the opening round. Uh, fortunate to go seven and one. And the one that I got wrong was in game seven and one goal game. Boston losing to Carolina. So uh, also great job by the Rangers to rally from a three one deficit, and they got the job done. And yeah, let's uh, looking forward to talking more about the Calgary Flames uh, with our next guest here. Yeah, you, you know what? Just before we go quickly, that was the difference. I would have gone seven and eight. And right, you and yes. would have gone six and eight. I thought I was coasting with that. Uh, you did with the Penguins uh, when they went up three one. Then you know what? I, I'll say this: when uh, when the tr- Truba kind of elbow the backwards elbow to the head of Sidney Crosby happened, I thought, you know what? That may be a little too much for them to get over all the issues that they had with goaltending. I thought they were getting by, and I thought Sidney Crosby was the best player in the playoffs he was not that after he returned that game seven uh, he he gave up a, he took a shot he had uh, on the on the point and just threw it into the middle um and it ended up being a breakaway going the other way almost cost him he was not the same player i've got a buddy who's a diehard devin turner is the teacher at last one he's a diehard pittsburgh penguins fan so i watched intently all those games with him and he had agreed sid was not the same guy after that i think that is where that series turned um yeah we can talk about that a little bit later but we don't want to make our next guest eric francis wait any longer eric uh i don't know if the heart rate has dropped down after that game seven boy oh boy that was something else eric was it as simple as jake ottinger holding dallas in that series or was there something that they did as a team beyond phenomenal goaltending that made that a seven game overtime series well, first of all, I love your hat. I, can you, <laughs> I get it a lot. I get it a lot. It's it's. If anyone has ever seen me, this is a different studio than I normally broadcast from. This is the, <laughs> the seat of my car. Uh, as you guys are probably well aware, this might not. This is not my first interview today. 
suddenly everybody wants to know about the Battle of Alberta, and I'm I'm happy to tell that story. But I'm a Whalers fan. It's in the backdrop in my my studio at home. Uh, good on you. I don't know if you're a big Whalers fan. We'll have this conversation offline. But we will. Good on we you. will. It looks yeah, good. There's a story and behind it. Today you're my favorite. Kenny's my golf partner, but today you're my favorite. Um, so Dallas, yeah, Dallas did a great job defensively. Like they have, everyone knows they've got one of the better blue lines in the National Hockey League. At least their high-end top three guys are as good as anybody's. And they did a masterful job shutting it down. And the chances that the Flames got, and there were millions of them, it seemed like, but a lot of them were from the outside. And, uh, and when they did get inside, Ottinger was, well, I mean, people are talking about it being one of the best performances ever in a series right and you know and um you know it's just a shame that markstrom was the better goalie i know people are going to say what well he won the series so was he the better goalie i'd say yeah and he made huge saves as well and that game ended and granted the story of the series was ottinger the story of the series at the end is johnny gaudreau but not a single question after that final game went was asked about markstrom he is so taken for granted yet he is the bedrock of all We lost your we lost your audio, we, friends. We've got uh, audio issues with you. We're not hearing you. I don't uh -oh. know if it's here. There we go. Oh, there you're back. back. Yeah, you're back. back. That was Kenny because I didn't pick him as my favorite. He shut me up. <laughs> I, I know the trick. I have my own show. I know how it works. Uh, go, go back, uh, go back, Eric. To you just said, said the part about Marks from yeah, no one asking him a question. Nobody asked. He wasn't made available, but no one asked about him about his performance. It was, you know, they take him for granted. And and I guess that's why you spend $6 million in the open market to get him because he solves all your problems. And uh, he's been phenomenal. He, um, you know, MVP of the series is probably Johnny Gaudreau. But uh, without Markstrom, they don't win that series. Straight up, I, be, I really believe that. Yeah, we'll get into Markstrom a little bit more when we shift to the Oilers talk. Obviously, there's a link because the Oilers thought they had him and the Flames got him. But I want to yeah. stay on Gaudreau for a second, Eric. Uh, how important was this for him? You you saw the playoff struggles live. Even if he hadn't scored in Game 7, I think to me he changed the reputation by how he played throughout the series. You know, he had one yeah. game winner previously. In Game 7, he had chance after chance after chance. He's going to the hard areas. Didn't get frustrated to hang out on the perimeter. He was involved. Yeah. The pass that he makes to Gaudreau is sensational because of the timing it takes to suck the other defenseman over on what would have been an interchange normally. Uh, what stood out to yeah. you and how important was it? Because, you know, we know what Daryl Sutter said at the end of the year uh, and we know it was about Johnny Gaudreau, right? Doesn't matter how many yeah. points you get, you got to show up when it matters. What do you think it meant for him, especially going into the UFA summer? Well, there's a lot of questions in there. It's funny, I, I'm going to take the last one because you know, being the overtime hero in game seven in a breakthrough game for this organization where they faltered, you know, in 30 years of me covering this team. But I mean, I seem to write that every, well, here's the stat for your audience. Since 1989, this team has been past the first round twice. Like, I, I'm not sure there's a worse franchise in the NHL in that vein. Uh, but, you know, so him getting that goal and becoming an instant legend in this city. I mean, he was already approaching legendary status, but that, that just puts him in the pantheon of greats in this organization. And I wonder if when he sits there and mulls over all the options he's going to have, he's probably going to have 20 of them in the offseason, and they're all going to be for top dollar. I wonder if, you know, breaking through and having this core remain is something that maybe he wants to do more so than he would have wanted had they lost in the first round because the frustration would have resonated. So 
But yeah, he took a step. Um, that could have been his last game as a Calgary Flame. That was the narrative going in that I threw out there. Is this Johnny Gaudreau's last game as a Flame? Well, it turns out it was maybe his most memorable. And that's pretty incredible. And, and good on him. And I've been hard on him because he has not been good in the playoffs in his career. Uh, he has been good this year. The numbers aren't outrageous like it, they were in the regular season. But that's playoff hockey. There wasn't much room to operate. Yet he still found a way to score two goals. Both game winners at clearly pivotal points in the game. And six assists. I mean, he's the story of the series right now. I think you're absolutely bang on. Uh, I've got a buddy that I always talk uh, Calgary Flames hockey with. He's been a Flames fan, grew up in Calgary his entire life. And we've been kind of debating this. I... <laughs> don't, admit, don't admit he's your friend. Don't. <laughs> we've been kind of debating, um, you know, whether Johnny's going to stick around there or not. And and I think the one thing that I said is it, it would take, you know, this team taking a step forward or, or some really good positive vibes in these playoffs for him to stick around. That has been my thought. Now, to that point, I don't think I've ever seen him look at, at like he's having as much fun as he is now. And it's easy to say, yeah, it's fun to score a game seven winner. But I mean, the entire time, this entire year, every time I see him, he just seems to be having more fun than any hockey player in the NHL. Uh, and I just think his mind is so right. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, but but yeah. what what has led to that? Uh, you know, when your team is playing this well, Daryl Sutter came in and put in a structure and more so than anything, an accountability that was lacking in this organization for many, many years. And uh, when you put that in place and you get instant results, well, not instant because last year they were 500 under him, but – when, it, when they had that great early road trip this year, they went 5-0 and on a road trip, and it really made them believe, yeah, if we – in Sutter we trust. If we, if we play his system, we can have success. And from there, they had one of the best seasons in the history of the franchise, and that's fun, right? I mean, he's playing on the best line in hockey this year. That I'll argue with anybody about that. Uh, statistically, no line came close. Uh, and so that's fun, too, when you've got two creative minds like Lindholm and Kachuk who are finishing for you, also setting you up. I mean, what's not to like? What's not to be fun? And I don't know if part of it, guys, is also like, you know, this might be my last year here. I'm just going to really enjoy it. I don't know if that enters his mindset. I just know that this is a really tight group, has been for years. They just had that cloud hanging over them that they couldn't get the job done when it mattered most. And now that they've got it, you know, that cloud has dissipated to a degree. And I know it's just the first round, but you got to know how big that was in this city. Um, I think all that is, is why he's having so much fun. Eric, we talk about culture all the time with many teams. Sometimes it's overstated. Sometimes it's understated. What did Blake bringing in Blake Coleman do for the Flames in a series where all of a sudden the games are on the line and maybe you got somebody who's not as nervous because he knows what it's like to win a game yeah. seven, knows what it's like to win a Stanley Cup. To me, I mean, he has a shot that goes off the bar. He's very noticeable in game seven as well. Yeah, I agree. And you know, probably the hallmark of this team this year was that they were so even keel. You know, they never got flustered. In past years, if they were down by one late in the game, you know, they, it was just, fire, you know, fire wagon hockey. Everybody rushed, and, and, and they ended up losing by three or four. Um, he just – Coleman is one of the guys who can just praise or preach the fact that if we stick to the system Daryl's implemented, uh, we can win games that way. And, hey, when he speaks, everybody listens. I mean, this guy just won two cups in a row, and – they know that he knows better than probably anybody in that room other than maybe Sutter um, what it takes 
And when you look over at him and he's calm as can be, you know, going into an overtime or going into a game or rebounding off of a tough period, it really helps. And they, the leadership of Lucic, Lewis, Toffoli, uh, and, and Coleman is leaned on heavily in this uh, city because they're the ones who are showing the way. And so I agree. It was the perfect signing uh, because also on top of all that, he plays that style that Daryl Sutter uh, preaches more than anything else. He stay, you know, be offensive, be creative, but stay on the right side of the puck and uh, defense first. And, and that's what he's good at. I, I think he's quietly maybe the best offseason signing. Another one of those players that I think, you know, the, the Oilers would have would have made such an impact for the Oilers if they would have got him. It seems like, you know, there's a little yeah. net and they're catching all these guys on their way up the highway. Sorry, you're not going to Edmonton. You're going to stick around here. And boy, they're better off for it. Speaking of the Oilers, let's get down to it. Um, it seemed to me that Calgary was ha- that team that had the answers against the Oilers for the most part this year. Um, it leads me to believe they should win this series against the Oilers, although I'm picking the Oilers to win this series. How do you see these two teams matching up? Wow. Uh, you know, and, and I hate making a prediction. Those can bite you. Boy, I had a couple this year come back and bite me. But I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the Calgary Flames are a favorite. I, I'm not going to say a heavy favorite, but I think, when you look at all the different boxes, the only one that the Oilers check that the Flames don't is like greatest player in the league. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and, and and that's a huge part of any series, right? A guy could like that could win you a series. He won two games single-handedly uh, for the Oilers in the last series, and obviously he was incredible in in all the games. But uh, I I think the goaltending's better in Calgary, and I know Mike Smith's been great. And I, and I, we saw it in Calgary three years ago when Mike Smith was here against Colorado. He was incredible. He was Ottinger-like against the Colorado Avalanche, but it wasn't enough. Um, so I, I believe he can still rise to the occasion, even though he's 40 years of age. Markstrom's better. Uh, the defensive core is better. Tanev's an interesting question mark. I'm sure we're going to get into it. He skated today. I'm still not believing he's going to play, but uh, we'll see about that. Um, their core is better. Uh, and up front, the Flames are way deeper than the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, there are four of the top eight scorers in the league in this series, which is really sexy if you're a viewer who wants to tune in and watch it. I mean, I, I just think they check all, so many boxes. Momentum means nothing. Both teams go in with momentum. Both are coming off a game seven high. Uh, that means nothing. And we saw in the Flames series and the Oilers series, the team who had the momentum after one game almost rarely almost never had it the next game going into the start of the next game. So I don't put anything into momentum. Yeah, I'm not with Sean on this. Uh, I'm taking the Flames. Now, again, I also have to. I picked the Flames to win the Cup this year going into our Sportsnet.ca oh, wow. uh, Sportsnet predictions. So uh, let's let's go to Tanev quickly, Eric. I mean, on the ice is a good sign. Also, too, how do you, what impressed you most about the way the Flames defense course stepped up in Tanev's absence uh, and what do you think of the chance when do you think you might see him back if it's not for game one so I just tell you a little story because I love it a handful of years ago the Flames uh, were having a hell of a season I think it was three years ago they were um, they were the best team in the west and uh, right down the stretch I think this was that year three years ago and uh, Mark Giordano tore his biceps with about uh, 30 games to go on the season he probably would have won the Norris that year um, this, no this wasn't three years ago this was about five years ago anyway he tore his biceps, and because they didn't want anyone to know that it was torn, even though most people were pretty sure he was done for the year, 
to go into the warm-up the next game, they shoved him in a jersey and they made him dress for the game. He could hardly hold his stick. There was zero chance he was going to take it. Uh, was going to play again that year, but they wanted to kind of it's gamesmanship, right? And they wanted everyone to. They didn't want anyone to know that as they were out there looking for another defenseman on the trade market right before the deadline. They didn't want anyone to know that they were trading from a position of weakness. So they shoved him in this jersey, and it's a funny story when Giordano tells it because it hurt like hell for him to put this thing on. And anyway, at the end of the day. I'm not saying this is gamesmanship, but Chris Tanev is one of the biggest warriors in the National Hockey League. Before that game, when he left the other night, two guys fell on his back while he was lying on his prone, and he, he left very awkwardly. Didn't come back for the rest of Game 6. Didn't play in Game 7. And when a warrior like that won't play in a Game 7, I'm saying, like, I figured he was done for the year. Now, the fact that he skated today, maybe that's, again, what a warrior is, but I'll believe it when I see it, boys, is all I'm saying. Because he is the best defenseman they have. He's their leader on the blue line. But just like everyone coming into the season in Calgary, everyone said, how are you going to fill the shoes of Mark Giordano? Well, we're going to do it by committee. Well, we don't think the committee's that good. <sighs> Turns out it's pretty good. Turns out it's a really good committee. It, it, and, and the guy who played the most minutes in Game 7, I'll give you three guesses. I don't know if you guys know who it is. I'll give you three guesses. I know who it is. Zadorov. Zadorov. Like, a guy who started the season as a healthy scratch in, like, five of his first six games. Pretty amazing story for this whole crew. Um, going back to uh, Connor and, and Johnny, I mean, I think you're right. We saw Connor, and, and to a degree, I don't know how you guys voted when it came to the Hart Trophy, but I think that the fact that he's not racking up more of these Hart Trophies in a time where he's clearly been the best player in the league for a long time, I think is a failure of this, the system of voting for that. He he took another step forward, and like you said, he won a couple of games single-handedly there. But I'll say this. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau has basically done the same thing. Now, I don't think he's as good a hockey player as, as Connor McDavid is, but, I mean, he's shown he's capable to go out and win the series. So that that those two going head-to-head intrigues me, uh, especially because yeah, I think yeah. Johnny is just ready to go. But what are some of the other uh, intriguing matchups you see in this series? Because I think, you know, there's some heftiness on either side that can go, at, you know, tit-for-tat yeah. tit and, and uh, some secondary scoring. What are some of the other, you know, matchups that you're looking at here that you think can kind of, you know, go direct head-to-head? Well, I'm going to start, because it's the Battle of Alberta, I have to start with Matthew Kachuk. And I think most people probably think that my next name out of my mouth is going to be Zach Cassian. But this guy's found a really good way of becoming completely irrelevant in the National Hockey League. But basically, ever since the night, he jumped Matthew Kachuk. I, I honestly don't remember seeing him since. And I remember citing the stats about a year or two later. And since that night, and everybody called Matthew Kachuk a chicken and all this. He was just being smart. He drew the penalty. And he ended up fighting Cassian the next game, I believe. I think since that night, Kachuk's been in something like a dozen fights. I think Cassian's been in two. You can look it up, but I, I don't know where the numbers are at now. But that's irrelevant. And if, if Cassian comes around Kachuk and Kachuk even looks at him, I think it's a failure by Matthew Kachuk. But he learned from the last series not to get involved with guys like John Klingberg who are trying to muck it up for no reason. I think Matthew Kachuk and Darnell Nurse is the matchup that I'm looking at probably uh, more than any because I think Nurse is going to be so hard on Kachuk. Nurse is as tough as they come in the National Hockey League. He's their best defenseman, and I think they're going to put him on that line, of course, to shut them down as much as possible. So that's the sexiest storyline to me, and those are the two that are going to rough it up and give cheap shots after the whistle and spark little scrums. And So that's the one I'll look at more than any, any else, to be honest. 
You touched on the D there. Obviously, Tanov's availability is a factor. We know how great a year that Noah Hannafin play had playing beside him. And to me, Oliver Shillington's yeah. development, the one thing that the Flames have on the back end, Eric, in addition to the size with Gabranson and Zadorov and some of the other guys, is their ability to skate. Obviously, Connor McDavid with a stick on, or puck on his stick is the fastest player in the NHL. How does the mobility on the back end, specifically with Shillington and Hannafin, what kind of role will that play in trying to contain McDavid in the series? So, you know, things moved around over the year, but Hannafin played with Anderson for the bulk oh, sorry. of the season. Yeah, oh, Shillington remained, was with them, sorry. Shilling, Shillington was with Tanev, and, you know, it was part of the reason why this Shillington, who most people figured was not going to be in the NHL this year, or certainly not in the Flames organization, had such an incredible year. A lot of people credit Tanev for that. Um, you know, if Tanev can't go, that, that makes Shillington a bit of a wild card, and it shuffles the lines a little bit. Michael Stone played with uh, Shillington last game, but – but to your point, the mobility that a guy like Hannafin has, Hannafin had nine shots on goal the other night, and that was not a normal night for him. But, you know, he jumped into the play and was very dangerous on a several occasions as part of their 67-shot barrage. So the mobility him and Rasmus Anderson have, and I've, I've cited this stat a lot this season. You know, the, the Calgary Flames two years ago, or last year, sorry, finished 23rd in the National Hockey League in terms of points from defensemen. They just weren't joining the rush as much. And that's with Mark Giordano, you know, who was coming off a Norris Trophy year. This year they finished third, third in the National Hockey League in points. And that's largely a product of the fact that this team scored a bunch of goals. But they scored a bunch of goals because their defense is so mobile and was encouraged to jump in as much as possible. And this team's hallmark is its forecheck. And when you're forecheck like they do and they cause turnovers, you know, the defense can cash in on some of those too when they come back into the zone. So – uh, the, the defense was a huge story this year, a story that nobody thought was coming. I agree with you that Cassian's gone from being a player that, you know, was a pretty big deal with that team and kind of faded away. Wow. We should give him credit. He, he had an important goal in game six, did he not? I think he had the opening goal in game six uh, of that series against L.A. Um, on the other side of things, you know, Lucic was a guy who looked like his effectiveness in the NHL was coming to a close a number of years ago, and now he's revitalized himself to being, I think, one of the most important players on that roster. How has he done that? Man, he's a cult hero in this seat, I'll tell you what. He hasn't scored in something like 55, 60 games. It's it's crazy how long it's been since he scored. At one point, they thought he was on a 20-goal pace. He had eight goals, I think, in the first 35 games, something like that. And I thought, this guy's going to score 20 on the fourth line. That's ridiculous. And uh, I think seven of the eight were between the legs. Uh, so I joke with him that it's because he can't raise the puck anymore. He didn't like that joke. But anyway, uh, <laughs> be careful when you joke with who I think is the toughest guy in the league. Uh, and I still think he is. Every time he touches the puck, you probably heard on TV, it's Luch. Yeah. Uh, people love him in this city. You know, because of his leadership, he's so popular in the room. Uh, because he's a great speaker, people love him in the media. Uh, and I think he's a great teammate. And I also think that he plays an important role in that fourth line. This team rolls four lines like few other teams in the league do. And, um, you know, even there he was in overtime. I remember thinking – Oh, we're not going to see that fourth line in overtime. They played a regular shift in the most important overtime in 30 years of this franchise, and they weren't out of place. You know, I think the coach knows that they're not a liability defensively, first and foremost, so he's not scared to put them out in overtime. He knows they're probably not going to score a goal, but he's taking valuable time off the clock. He's wearing the other team down. He hits everything that moves. He's an intimidator. 
he plays such an important role. And I do think that a guy like Lucic, Branson, and Zadorov are a big part of the reason why Johnny Gaudreau took another step this year too. He had the freedom to know that he wasn't going to get run in any building under any circumstance because if somebody did, they'd have to answer to one, two, or three of those guys, and that wouldn't have been pleasant. Eric, let's uh, shift to the men down the middle. Obviously, the Flames have Backlund and uh, Lindholm, great two-way players. Uh, who do you think they would like to line up in the matchup game? And uh, Sean and I have this debate all the time. Do you think that the Oilers are tougher to check when they go uh, the nuclear option or when they play McDavid and Dreisaitl separately? That's a great question. And you see everything, right? You're going to see both. Like, if the Oilers are ever behind in a game late, you, you know, rip up the lines. It's going to be Dreisaitl and, and McDavid double shifting all, all night long. You know, the Dreisaitl thing is fascinating to me because he's not right. I mean, we all know that ankle is nowhere near 100%. And so I wonder what sort of a factor, you know, I guess at my peril, I wonder what one of the best players in the game is going to be like, you know, uh, with half an ankle. But um, that's a storyline to watch throughout the series. Yeah, I don't know what makes them more dangerous. I think they're more dangerous when they play together. Um, But, man, when you go up against a team as deep as the Flames, it feels – if you're going to put those guys two together, you got a lot of holes in your lineup and liabilities on the other three lines that the Flames can take advantage of. So I think the Flames would rather they play them together and just put all their eggs in that basket. Like Lindholm was named a Selkie Trophy finalist today with good reason. He's the best shutdown center that the Flames have and one of the best in the league. Johnny Gaudreau, the coach called one of the best 200-foot players in the league this year. Like that's a great defensive checking line. And I mean, they're plus minus plus 61, plus 65, says it all. So I think you asked about matchups. Like, I think you're going to see the Flames' top line go up against McDavid all series long, and if that means Dreisel as well, how great is that as a hockey fan, watching four of the top eight scorers on the ice for most of the game? Pretty cool, boys. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've wanted to ask you this question for a long time now because – yeah, the analytics crowd would have said about adding players like Goodbranson and Zadorov that that was a massive miss. I mean, I remember, I think some people, you know, kind of tittered and laughed through their hands at the at the Calgary Flames making that move. Um, why has it worked out so well and why have they essentially, um, you know, uh, took us in a direction that the analytics crowd never would have thought they were capable of? Well, I titter and laugh through my hands at the analytics crowd more often than not because they missed what the reason why those two guys were signed. And obviously they defied all the numbers that the analytics geniuses uh, have thrown at those guys in, you know, when they were ripping them apart. And I'm not saying I thought this was good. They were going to be great signings, but it's pretty clear early on this series, this season. I mean, they signed those guys. Uh, they're the face of this team in some ways. They're the face of the blue line for sure. How many third pairings are the face of their blue line? You can't say that. I don't even know in history if I can say that. Those are the two guys that this team is known for around the league when it comes to facing that defensive core. So they were brought in for their brawn, their size, their dominance physically, and that's all Daryl Sutter. This, I'm not saying it wasn't Tree Living's idea, but it wasn't Tree Living's idea. This was Daryl Sutter who said, give me the two biggest, beefiest guys. Okay, they may not be as mobile as Noah Hannafin and such, and Shillington, but they are going to be a presence. When you play the Calgary Flames now, they have a reputation for being one of the toughest and biggest teams in the league. Well, I'm going to tell you that statistically, the analytics people have told me, 
that size-wise, the Calgary Flames are 21st in the league and 23rd in, in weight. So they're not a big, strong team, generally speaking, but they sure come across that way because of those two guys and Lucic. Let's uh, spin the conversation back between the pipes, Eric. I mean, how big a storyline is this for the Battle of, of Alberta, knowing that Markstrom thought he was going to Edmonton, ended up in Calgary, and has stabilized yeah. the position for them? And uh, do you think he would be relishing that? You know, it's going to be a subject, right, a topic of conversation, but oh, all he yeah. really cares about is trying to win. If this series is won by the Flames, you can look back to the summer two years ago when the Calgary Flames stole him from the Oilers. Like, I, I think it's that simple. How many times have you looked at the Oilers this year and last year and said, man, if they had a goalie, they'd be scared. <sighs> I mean, they, they, I mean, they finished not too far behind the Calgary Flames this year without a goalie. I mean, Koskinen was better than anyone wanted to give him credit for. His record is a lot better than anyone will ever give him credit for. His goals against average isn't. His save percentage, save percentage isn't. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think, I remember when they stole him that day. That killed two birds with one stone. You stole him from the Vancouver Canucks. You know, traditionally the biggest rival that the Calgary Flames have had the last 20 years. And you also stole him from the Edmonton Oilers, who are your biggest rival going back 20, 30, 40 years. So, uh, double whammy. And really, guys, you know, they paid $6 bucks a year. That was considered a ton of money at the time. Think about that in the grand scheme of things. Like, the most important position on your team I mean, there are goalies in the league, correct me if I'm wrong, that are making $11, $12 million a year. Bobrovsky and such making $10 million plus. Like, that's an important position. If the Flames could go back and do it again, they probably would spend $10 million bucks to get him, and it would have been worth it. So, yeah, at $6 million bucks, he's almost the biggest reason why they're probably going to beat the Oilers in this series, in my opinion. Last one for you, and and I have to say I agree. It was at the beginning of the playoffs I picked a, a conference final of Edmonton just based on what they've done at the end of the season against Colorado. So I can't turn back now. So I got to go down that road. But I agree. I look at this and I think it's almost every single box Calgary ticks ahead of Edmonton, it, including maybe the coaching battle. How do you see, you know, Sutter, the grizzled veteran who's done this all before and been to the top of the mountain against Woodcroft, who's, you know, maybe walking in here, you know, figuring it out as he goes. Um, what, what do you know of these two coaches and how they line up and what do you expect? Well, it's not, it's a mismatch, right? I mean, that's when we check boxes on either side, I mean, you know, it can't even, it's not even a conversation, I don't think, but I will say this. What I am interested in is Woodcroft, and he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done to kind of stabilize this team defensively because that's what they needed. My question is, can a coach have come in like, what, two and a half months ago and implemented a defense-first system like Sutter did in a lot of ways and like a lot of guys like John Cooper did, but it took him forever to figure that one out. Can you do that in two months? Can a team 100% buy in over two months to being a defensively sound first team? I, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I, Speck wrote a lot about that and how this team has really learned how to become a, a team that can win 2-1 and one nothing games. I'm not buying it. Like, I'm just not buying it. The sample size is too small. And, and, and it's not just, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm going to eat crow if they lose, if they win a game 2-1 or one nothing because I think a lot of the games in this series will be that. But I also think you're going to see a heavy dose of games that are 5-4 in this series and 4-3, uh, much to the chagrin of the Flames probably. Uh, so I, I just don't know. If, if, if two months you can turn around a team to play a radically different style of hockey 
and make it work at the most important time of the year. I hope they, I hope they can, because it'd be a really good series if they can. That was a really great point. Uh, Eric, as always, uh, you knocked it out of the park here. I, I can tell you're having fun and it's the fun is only going to ramp up out there. Yeah. You guys deserve it out there. Uh, it's going to be a fun next couple of weeks here or however long that goes. And if you're right, uh, you're going to stay busy for a while now. So we'll, uh, I don't know if we froze up there, but I uh, just want to appreciate your time, Eric, and we'll see you around. Now, uh, let's let's get in. Uh, we don't have Hammy here, but we might as well bring He's gonna in He's going to be right in, here. yeah. Well, what uh, about the tunes? Right where, where's his entry music? Where's the entry uh, music? Colin is busy. He hasn't been able to build his video. Oh, yet. The video. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, there's Eric. Hey, Eric, sorry, but uh, I, I hope you heard me. I see <laughs> you guys deserve a good run that you're on here. I think you're going to be busy for a while. Really appreciate it. You knocked it out of the park here. Cheers, boys. Thanks for having me. I love that hat. I couldn't stop staring at it. Go whale. Always. Excellent. I'll always cheer for the whalers. Only team I ever cheered for in my entire life in hockey, the whalers. True story. Kevin and Ian Francis. I got to go. See you, boys. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it, my man. Enjoy the series. All right. Let's grab Hammy and bring him in here. Uh, Perfect timing. Uh, Boys, um, how's everyone doing today? Um, Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Great. How are you guys? I feel like I'm dropping the ball with the host and there's a lot of dead air all of a sudden every time I'm asking questions. So I'm going to make my questions very direct. Uh, Hammy, do you remember what you went in the first round in your predictions? No, but I I do recall getting a couple wrong. I know I got, I think I picked Pittsburgh. You must have the, the stats. I picked right? Pittsburgh and LA, I think. I and I also Pittsburgh. think I took LA as well. Yeah. All right. And yeah. So, so you-, you and I ended up six and eight. Ken and Scott ended up seven and eight. So that Pittsburgh series really kind of burned us uh, as they sit there patting themselves on the back. But let's just let's just remind ourselves that Ken picked two teams that aren't in the playoffs right now at the beginning of the year. <laughs> go to the Stanley Cup final before he don't go find my receipts. Don't go find the receipts on my picks for this year either. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, let's start with you, Hammy. Uh, what stood out to you in that first round? Uh, you can kind of. Buffet is open, kind of whip around what you saw or maybe just the things that stood out to you most. But uh, really interesting hockey. What, what stood out to you? To me, obviously, the, the, the distance, right? I mean, I love the first round. I don't know about you guys, and I probably maybe shouldn't be admitting this, but I feel like my hockey watching goes down as the, as the series go on um, just because I just I love the, <laughs> the smorgasbord of, of first-round series. And, I mean, we're, we were spoiled. I mean, it, it seemed like it just felt like the parody was incredible in, in the playoffs. I mean, nobody seemed, I mean, of course, you know, minus the whole situation in Colorado made quick work, uh, of course, in, in that series against Nashville, but even, you know, a couple of those games were good. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned you guys went seven and eight, unfortunate with Sidney Crosby, because I think I was catching on to that uh, momentum that he, you know, back to kind of making his case as being one of the best players in the, in the league. Um, of course, you know, the, the Truba hit, I mean, we can, you know, I'm sure you've debated that. It, it is what it is. I think it, you know, there's a couple different, I also thought there was a couple misplays, you know, a couple, you know, it was certainly physical. It felt a lot more physical than the regular season that first round. I love that uptick in energy that comes with the playoffs. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the series now, hanging into the second round, um, 
got some good battles here. And, and I mean, just overall watched a ton of hockey. I'm not going to go into my feelings about all the series, but I definitely yeah. enjoyed, you know, seeing the Maple Leafs do what they do best and, uh, you know, watching some other teams do what they do best. So I think it's going to be a, a tough one here this next round. Scotty, give a quick thought on each of the first eight series. Yeah, it's just out here, just run through the board of them. Yeah. Well, um, no, I, yeah. like just kind of give it, give me like yeah. some quick bites of like what, what well, stood out? What do you think? What yeah. Pop from each series. I mean, game four with Toronto, their no show in game four, the Nylander quitting on the play on that Good one. Point. I thought that one lost them the series. Like, it, not that they didn't come back and play. Not that Nylander didn't come back and play well, but it's just like you have an opportunity to go up three to one in that series, and instead it's two to two. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, it's just a brand new series then. And obviously, Toronto went up again, but um, yeah, and then then just not being able to close it out again. I, I think that's what six years running now. It, it's not. It's not great there. Um, Quicker. Quicker, team to Ottinger, Ottinger was fantastic um, in that series. I thought he got the short in the stick. Dallas, uh, you know, there or whatever. Um, I liked Mike Smith. I think Mike Smith is putting up the same numbers he did in 2012 when he went to the Western Final, um, and that's making it very hard to make that pick there. Um, Tampa played well. At Colorado's, you know, Colorado showed what they are. Um, you know, obviously no UC Soros there for them, but that trying to remember all the other series now i thought their st louis series was surprising um you know i thought that would be a little tighter maybe than it was i don't think that one didn't go seven games did it was six games in that series yeah um and then yeah i agree with with jeff on the on the pittsburgh series you know it, it, it that that crosby injury he was playing so well i mean that's the thing and it's tough, you know. It's tough, and and you know, like going back to the Minnesota series, I don't think that they should <clears throat> should have went with Mark Andre Fleury in Game Six, or they should have went with Mark Andre Fleury instead of just throwing in a Colt Talbot in there um, as well. Um, Carolina, Boston, you know, I thought that was just the, that was the battle of the home team that whole series. Uh, great series. Um, I, I love Brad Marchand kind of turning babyface in that series, and D'Angelo taking over as the heel too. So yeah, I mean. Uh, it was a great first round, like Hammy said. You know, it, five of the eight series went seven games. That's a lot of parity, and you know, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the one and eight teams that were out quickly. No, like the one and eight teams in some cases were going you know the full distance, and I thought that was good. So I'll just run through it quick. Edmonton, what stood out to me was the fact that the Oilers looked like they were on their way to doing what they always do and kind of falling apart, and I, I just thought. Uh, they left no doubt for me in game six and seven that they were the better team. I'd said early to Kenny, they had that one game where they ran up the score. I said, this is the Oilers team I was looking for. But I, I thought it was a step in the evolution of Connor McDavid. And I'm interested to see how he responds in this next round because he essentially just went out and said, we're not losing this series. We're not going through this again. The, all the stuff that Toronto's going through right now, I'm not doing that again. I'm going out. I'm winning that series. So I thought that was interesting. Ottinger clearly stood out. But in that Stars-Calgary series, that moment when Zadorov was skating off the ice and he's like, I want you, Ben. I thought that was an important moment. Franchise just talked about the toughness of that team. Jamie Ben is a guy, and Ken, you've seen this before. Jamie Ben takes over playoff series because he intimidates the hell out of the other team. And what I thought was Calgary went – 
you know, brawn for brawn against that team and came out on top. I think it serves them well and is going to be very hard for them to knock off. I, there's nothing to really be said about uh, Colorado and Nashville. Clearly the better team. They just walked away with it. I was a little bit surprised. I clearly think that it was the inability to score on the power play that cost the Minnesota Wild. I just think they got tighter and tighter as that series went on. I was surprised I had them winning that series. Uh, I thought there was a bit of a disappointment for them in and that they're one of the teams that is going to feel that sting in the first round because because this is definitely a, a what could have been story I think for that team and they just ran into it they were new and they ran into a team that's been there before Kenny called it early on St. Louis knows what they're doing in that situation pulled it off uh, the Toronto situation I couldn't agree with you more Scotty they gave away a game where they didn't show up and you cannot give away a game against that team but the other th- part about that I'm going to say is, is there a GM who knows the intricacies of adding the right guys or the right parts to create a winning team yeah, no. the way that Julian Breezeball was going out and getting yeah. Nick Paul absolutely like that is a guy he's a finisher there's a lot of GMs that build teams but just can't quite get over the hump. Maybe that's what we're seeing here in Winnipeg. Julian Breezebois takes a look and sees we need three pieces to go here and fit for this to, to be a Stanley Cup winning roster. No one does it better than he does. Um, Carolina, same thing, home and home series. Uh, I do think they got a little taste of the Brad Marchand kind of taking their focus off the series a little bit. The fact they got through it, I think, is going to serve them well. Um, I hate the uh, – I know a lot of people don't like it. Jeff touched on it. I hate the Truba elbow. I think it, it reminds me of last year when Blake Wheeler got concussed by Brady Kachuk when he kind of just threw the arm around. It's one of those situations where – and you guys have will have seen this in sports before or been a part of this – when you miss a guy and you're just trying to grab a piece of him, right? Kind of like uh, Kachuk on Shifley a couple of years ago. You're just trying to get a piece of the guy, and that's when you injure a guy, when you reach outside of yourself. I thought it was ridiculous he didn't get uh, 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 suspended. They took the the best player outside of Ottinger and Kale McCarr out of the playoffs with that. I thought it was ridiculous. And I'm missing one. Oh, the Florida series. I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned that Washington has exposed Florida in a way that is going to cost uh, cost me my Florida Colorado final, like I played at the, <laughs> picked at the beginning of the year. Um, I, I think maybe it's one of those things where Florida kind of overcomes. Uh, but the most part thing, I, I think I think I walk away from that series and think that Florida team has been exposed, not, hey, we you know we fought our way over the, the, the mountain to get into that next round, which they hadn't been for a while. Uh, I'm worried what they look like going forward against Tampa Bay. Um, how should we handle this, guys? Do we want to pick a, a series? Well, let's do this, guys. Uh, Hammy, you start out and give me your thoughts on the Battle of Alberta. We've gone through it quite, uh, quite a bit here, but I want to know what stands out to you and where you think this I think this is going to be Calgary in a in a walk. I I, 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 I don't I don't like. I mean, I'm looking at five six games at most for Calgary. I I think that they got over that hump, that historical hump that uh, that Toronto couldn't quite you know get over. And I think they're going to be uh, they're just deep, man. I mean, that's a deep team. Like you know, they they have the they have everything you need in a playoff contender. And I mean, not, nothing against. 
you know, I heard, I, I listened to Eric Francis, you know, in his, in his spot before this and, you know, he, and I'm with him in the sense that the only thing that they, you know, the box that they check is having the world's best player in Connor McDavid. And I mean, Connor McDavid had an incredible opening round. There's no doubt about it. He single-handedly won a couple of those games, but he did it against a, an LA Kings team that, you know, kind of played out of it, out of their skates all season long, and you know, th- their their time is is the future, right? I think Calgary's time is now, and Edmonton is going to is going to get a bit of a reality check. I think we're gonna they're going to get back to being you know the team that they are, and I think that you know I'm not saying it's going to be quick work, but if you look at what Dallas was able to do to Calgary, and you know, pretty much collapse the the center of the net and, and get rid of those lanes. If Edmonton wants to try to play open hockey, I think they're going to get eaten alive. And so that's where I see the difference in, in that series. And I think, you know, Calgary has just grown from this series and, and gotten, you know, again, both had to get to tough game seven. So it's not like one's more rested than the other. But I just see Calgary being the far superior team to that club. Scotty? Oh, it's so tough. But I'm going to go with Edmonton. And I'm going with Edmonton in seven. I think this series goes a distance. I think Mike Smith is playing out of his mind, like I said earlier. And like, so this is the thing. Like when Mike, when the Arizona Coyotes went to the Western Final in 2012, lost to the Kings that year, um, it was Mike Smith who played out of his mind. And right now, he's the best goalie in the playoffs right now. If you're going by by analytics, <clears throat> um, Jake Ottinger was second, and then and it, in terms of goals above expected, uh, the next guy's Markstrom, but he's six goals, you know, behind. So. I, I think Edmonton is, I, and I, I, you know, I don't know if this is true or not. You know, if I looked at all the sides, but I think Edmonton's a heavier team, and I, and I think that the key to beating Calgary is getting on Goudreau and at Lindholm and some of their kind of smaller guys like that. Um, I don't think they're as deep as as Calgary, but I don't think you can also account for depth in the same way when you have McDavid and you have Drysital. Um, and and I just think that they beat the Jets from last year. Like I think they I think they put their demons away from last year in that series. They it wasn't you know they didn't go the distance last year. They got swept obviously, but they played the same sort of style of team. Like it, Dallas really tried to you know grind them out, and the Jets were really good at that in last year's playoffs. In doing that, I I thought they overcame that, and I think that's the gateway for them to get going here, Edmonton. Um, I, I think if Mike Smith keeps going, um, and this is nothing against Jacob Marstrom, I agree with with Eric Francis what he says. Markstrom, you know, was basically nobody talked about him because Ottinger played so well. Um, but at the same time, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, the Goudreau line, it, it's very good, all that stuff. But um, I, I just like the idea of Edmonton taking the series with good goaltending and and, and the McDavid factor. Kenny, <clears throat> yeah, for me, I'm going to take the Flames in six. Uh, Edmonton is a better team than they were last year. There's no doubt about that, but. I think Calgary's better than the Jets were last year, uh, and they're better than LA was. Uh, they have been, they have great goaltending with Markstrom. You know the the availability of Tanev is an issue. I mean, we saw what Josh Morrissey and Dylan Demello did against D- Connor McDavid last year. Uh, I just think the mobility on the back end is such a big factor. Whether it's Hannafin, whether it's Shillington, I think they can get by, no doubt about it. They're very mobile. Their special teams are excellent. And for me, until I see enough or more from the Oilers third and fourth lines, it would have to take a superhuman performance by McDavid. And I think he certainly would have it in him. But I think that 
the Flames' top guns can go head-to-head and not just kind of be even. I mean, they're they're very good. They're going to have to find someone to shut their top line down. And we know that McDavid has improved defensively, but he's not a Selkie candidate, and Lindholm is. I mean, those are the facts. So to me, I'm not saying the Oilers have no chance, because obviously they do. But to me, it's the Flames in six, and I think it's going to be just an awesome series. Um, so I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go kind of because I picked it at the beginning. I'm going to go the Oilers in seven. Um, I do think it's going to be a superhuman effort, uh, on the part of Connor McDavid. And here's, here's something that is probably going to be controversial, especially because Lindholm is, you know, getting, giving us, getting a selkie nod. I actually, it's this kind of situation where Dustin Bufflin was never being considered for the defenseman of the year, but get him in the playoffs. And could you find a defenseman who is having more of an impact on the game than he did right like and and i'd say this i actually think that the assignment down the middle is going to get easier i think it was harder to face kopitar and dano than it's going to be to face this category wow. team i actually think it's going to you know and and so i do think Connor mcdavid is reaching another level i don't i think the x factor in all of this is definitely dry sidle on his ankle and what's happening there if he can get a little bit healthy darnell nurse logs so much ice time this this is a team that is able to kind of do that mike smith has been playing well um i still do think that calgary ticks all the boxes it's a little bit of uh i think at this stage for me to keep my bracket alive it's a little bit of wishful thinking but i don't believe in changing course in the middle of things here but i do think seven games is what it would take for the oilers to win this one i don't think it'll be the flames in a walk um I, but I think it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal barn burner series. Okay, let's work in reverse order. Uh, and Ken will hop over and we'll go to the Colorado St. Louis series. Now, last year, these two teams played in the play in the playoffs and it was a walk for Colorado. Do you expect the same? I don't know. Uh, I picked the Blues to make the conference final. And the only way they can do that is if they have the upset <laughs> special in round two. Uh, I think Ryan O'Reilly, as I wrote about on sportsit.ca today, is going to have to be absolutely dynamic. Uh, in trying to contain Nathan McKinnon while also pumping out offense the way that he does. He had five goals and eight points in the opening round. I still think he's one of the best two-way players in the NHL. When it matters most, I think he's one of the, you know, he's one of the best leaders. He's, if the Blues are going to win, Ryan O'Reilly is going to have to be absolutely tremendous. Jordan Binnington is going to have to continue to play well, or whoso, if he gets the net back, is going to have to be out of his mind and outplay Kemper. Obviously, Kale McCarr is the X factor for the Avalanche. Not X factor. He's the guy that you got to try to contain from the back end. But it's a, it's going to be incredibly difficult for St. Louis to win. But to me, the Aval- this is the Avalanche's time. They've been bounced in the second round three consecutive years. They have probably one of the best rosters. But to me, I think the Blues experience. And you talk about general managers, uh, Sean. Doug Armstrong. This year, bringing in Nick Letty at the deadline, under the radar kind of move, yeah. getting, you know, Bushnevich in the offseason, signing Brandon Sod. These are all very important pieces of business that got done. Sod was, you know, excellent against the Blues last year when he was with Colorado. Uh, to me, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if Colorado wins the series. But to me, this is my upset special in round two. I think the Blues uh, find a way to get done in seven games. Scotty? Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it's Colorado in five, maybe six at, at most. But I, Colorado is just too good. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. With us, that's special. I mean, 
St. Louis barely got out of that series, in my opinion. Like, I mean, they did. They won in six games, but don't get me wrong. Barely. Come but on. Just, yeah, but they, they just they, they got gifted a game in game six when they put in Cam Talbot, who hadn't played the whole series. It's already pissed off that he hadn't been playing, and then he put him in, and then he just gets roasted. It, is, it happens, but... I mean, I mean, I'm going to go to the analytics on this, and they beat uh, yeah, Flurry three not, times. Who cares who played Game Six? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You're you're going against one of the statistically best offensive teams in the last long time, um, and and they can play defense. Like this is the thing. It's just wave after wave with Colorado, and it's not just the forwards. It's it's Makar. It's Devin Taves. I mean, it's they're the most well-rounded team I think in the NHL right now. And uh, I don't think they're going to get slowed down by um, Jordan Bennington. Like, don't get me wrong. I've been on the Jordan Bennington train for a while, but I just don't think it, he can stop it. And I don't think Huso can do it either. I just think that that, that, that McKinnon and, and Rantanen and Landis Cog, they have it all. They have the size. They have the grit in the series. The analytics favor them. Um, and, and they're going to have Darcy Kemper back. And so I, I just don't see how – I don't see them ever losing to the Blues, no. Hammy? I don't think you're crazy, Kenny, but I do appreciate you <laughs> allowing us to, you know, shrink that gap. And so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Colorado. Uh, I'm gonna go seven games. Um, this is one where, look, I had I was really high on the Minnesota Wild heading into round one. You know, they were scoring at a click clip that not a lot of teams were. I felt like they were gonna do a deep run and. You know, six games, look, six games is, yes, it's one game short of seven, but I thought that was a convincing series win by St. Louis for the most part. You know, I mean, it's twice as many wins as, you know, as, as the other team. So, to me, I, I, I think St. Louis plays tough. They play hard. I think it's going to be a tough one on home ice for whatever visiting team goes in. And I'm seeing this one go the distance. I think, I think you know, obviously I agree with, you know, your comments, Scott, about, Colorado, you know, it being their time and then being as skilled as they are. Absolutely. That's why I have them winning. I just, I don't think it's going to be an easy one for St. Louis who has the experience. I think they have the goaltending. Yes. Uh, you know, Bennington is a good option, but so is Huso. And so, you know, if, if he can get back into the crease, I don't think that's a bad situation. So I just, I think I, it feels like a heavy series. And if St. Louis can do something not identical to what Dallas did to Calgary, but shut down some of that speed, take away some of those lanes with the heaviness that they have in the back end, I think it could be a you know a really good series. And I'm going to go Colorado and stuff. Sorry, Sean, before you go, just one quick one, guys. This is not the same Blues from 2019. They're a top five goals for a team in the National Hockey League. And they have three Kenny, lines they got that outplayed. Can they got outplayed by Minnesota the whole no, series. Didn't. Oh, they did, Kenny. You just, I mean, okay, I get it. Yeah. I watched. I at, watched the series. Keep looking at that plus minus. Yeah, um, terrible plus minus. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. Um. So the, the goaltending concerns Kenny, me for Saint up. Louis. Give him a wake up. Solon off on your show. <laughs> the the goaltending concerns me for St. Louis. Uh, never mind the fact that I'm not sure that the goaltending <clears> matters. The one thing that I think has been a hallmark of these playoffs is that star players have been making the difference. And if you go back to last year, players like Braden Point, Kucherov, they were the different ma difference makers down the stretch. And when uh, star players are going, those teams are winning. When they're not, they're typically not winning. I think we saw that a little bit last year uh, with Vegas, when Vegas crashed 
crashed out of the playoffs and their star players weren't putting things up. So I take a look at this right now. Kale McCarr is in God mode right now. He, to me, was, I don't care, you can say what you want about Ottinger. Crosby was maybe close, but Kale McCarr was the best player in the world uh, outside of, well, I guess I guess Connor. I, I give it a tie. Connor McDavid and Kale McCarr were the two best hockey players in the world in that first round. They reached a level I don't know other players got to, and that's never mind the fact that you know McKinnon. I don't think has reached his peak. That Landeskog is still just playing off of coming back from from an injury and from surgery. And Rantanen is a big body who can do a lot of things. I'm not even going to get into the depth that you see on defense from those. And, and the <laughs> fact that Darcy Kemper, I still to this day believe is. Is a goaltender that is capable, if he can get to it, of being a, steri- a series stealing goaltender. So I don't think that this is uh, this one is not in question in my mind. I, I I do respect the championship pedigree of the St. Louis Blues. I think that they've got those kind of things in line. Uh, uh, and Ryan O'Reilly is an X factor. So I'm going to say that's six games. Um, let's reverse it and go back around the horn to, I think this for me is the least sexy of the four series. Um, but Jeff, why don't you start off and give us your thoughts on, uh, the New York Rangers and, uh, Carolina. I, I was surprised that New York was able to pull it off. I do think that Sidney Crosby played a lot into that. Um, yeah. Sturgeon is, did not play unbelievable in the first round, so I do see more from him potentially here in this in this next series and might have to steal it for them. But I don't know. I'm riding Carolina. I, I think at this stage all these series are going to be relatively tight. Um, I just like the speed of Carolina. I like the youth. I like the, you know, the energy they bring. Uh they're dominant. I mean, they're a very tough team on home ice. Uh, so I'm going to go with – but I, I do like the Rangers too. I, I mean, I do enjoy um, what, what they've been able to show for the last bit. But I, I, I'm going to go with Carolina and probably uh, let's make it let's make it seven. I think they're going to push it to seven. T. Will needs a timeout, first of all. Just, just what, do you, what are you scoping out the what, comments? Uh, what, if you're listening on the I podcast, really uh, Scotty's, Scott, T. Will's under Scotty's skin right now because he says Kenny won the belt, the belt today. today. <clears throat> and Scotty was trying to run in and hit Kenny with a steel chair after the match. Just take the loss, Scotty. Hashtag I'm trying to take the loss. Kenny basically said I'd fudge my scorecard in the win, and then today he beats my 10 strokes, and you know whatever. It is what it is, but we'll get over it. Um, hey, I, at I, you, I, hey, at least you got the phone call. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, you're you're busy Awkward. covering a strike, buddy. You're busy covering uh, a strike. Yeah, strike. Yeah, you're right. I am busy working. You're on call. You're on call. Yeah, you're on that's call. Fair. And I right, always Scott, read the Carolina, chat New hammer. York. Yeah, uh, Carolina. Uh, and and I think I don't want to say it's handily because I said that on the last one, but I think it's in six. I, Carolina is a suffocating team. I, I believe they have one of the best defensemen in the NHL, and Jacob Slavin. Um, their goaltending is it has been fantastic. I mean, I, I think even with anti Ranton, well, no, what are you looking at? They're, fantastic. They're playing, their, they're playing their backup, and Ranta won them a series, helped win them a series. I, I mean, I'm, he had a pretty good game. So, um, but I just think it's not, it doesn't it doesn't matter who's in goal. And and I think we showed that showed a few years ago when they won with a with a Zamboni driver in net. Um, but I just think that team is so good. It, their their penalty kill is in, in in so impressively aggressive, um and and effective. Um, power play is great. They they have a lot of good in that team, um and I think they're going to challenge whoever wins the next series we talk about um to go to the Stanley Cup. I think they're so I'll say that in six. 
That's yeah, right. Carolina is a fun team. I don't know why I don't bet on them more, but uh, this is another case where I'm not going to bet on them. Uh, this is the time. History has shown us that there's always strange things that happen at this time of year. Uh, Shesterkin had a tough goal getting pulled in consecutive <laughs> games, but I think he had 76 saves in the last two games, including 41 in Game 7. Uh, I'm going to go on the Igor Shesterkin train, uh, Rangers in 7, and Andrew Kopp continues to shine the way that he did in the opening round. Um, I, I, the, the New York Rangers, uh, were lucky to get out of their series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They were the inferior team throughout the entire series. Um, and the Pittsburgh Penguins were no Carolina hurricanes. To me, I take a look and that's the measuring bar that we're looking at here. The Rangers are lucky to be where they are right now. Uh, and the team that they, you know, just just got past despite not outplaying is not as good as this team. I do think that these two teams play a similar style, uh, and and I just think that Carolina is more advanced, further down the road, and better in that style. I thought Carolina potentially could have won that series against Boston in five games, but what they ran into was a savvy veteran group that knows how to play in the playoffs, savvy veteran players that know how to get under the other team's skin. But we're talking about a mature organization in the Boston Bruins that threw some tricks at this Carolina team that Carolina eventually was able to get past and learn from, and I think absolutely showed with no doubt they were the better team in that seventh game. Uh, The New York Rangers are behind the Carolina Hurricanes in the maturation process. To me, this one is as close as I get to a lock in the – sorry, yeah, yeah, maybe I'd even put that ahead because St. Louis, uh, I think, is a little bit closer to Colorado. So this is the closest thing I have to a lock in the second round. I'll go Carolina in five. Last one, which to me, I think, you know, even even with the uh, Battle of Alberta, to me, this is the sexiest series in the second round. Kenny, tell us what you think is going to happen with this uh, Florida-Panthers-Tampa uh, Bay uh, series. I love what the Lightning did in the opening round. Um I'm actually on the opposite side of the fence, Sean, of you when it comes to Florida. Uh, every year, the eventual champion, almost every year, there's a bump, a massive speed bump. There's a team that should be eliminated in the first round that somehow finds a way, and then they get traction. Uh, I think that it was a you know a quieter opening round for some of the Panthers stars. Uh, I think that their depth and their back end, I mean, let's not forget Ekblad missed a ton of time down the stretch here. Uh, I think that Ekblad is a massive uh, factor in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I think that the Lightning, you know, I wouldn't say they were sleepwalking, but they had some nights where they weren't at their sharpest. Uh, the biggest question mark is in goal, where Vasilevsky is obviously you know, the best goalie in the series. Uh, but yeah. I think that the Panthers are, you know, I think that Alexander Barkov is going to have a tremendous series here. And I, if Braden Point were healthy, I would go Lightning. Uh, but the fact that that Point, I applaud him for sitting on the bench for those for that time. But if Braden Point's not at 100% health, it's going to be a challenge for the Lightning. As great as they are, as awesome as this run has been, I think we see it all the time. We saw it for years. You got to slay the dragon. Last year, the Panthers went toe to toe with the Lightning. Yeah. The Panthers are a better team than they were last year. And although the Lightning are excellent, I don't think they're as deep as they were last year. Their reconfigured third line is not as good. I think the Panthers are going to win the series in six games. Yeah, yeah, Tampa in six for me. And I I think part of the reason is I think Vasilevsky plays better. 
Um, I think they, they kind of woke up after game uh, five there um, and, and started to realize, okay, you know, and I think Vasilevsky said that after one of the, after maybe game seven thereafter. Um, I just think they have the experience factor. If we're going to talk about this with St. Louis and all that, I mean, why are we not talking about this with Tampa? They're back-to-back champs. Um, and and I, I think there's something to be said for trying to do a three-peat. And, and I think, you know, even without Braden Point, I mean, you have Anthony Sorelli that can move up in there and be, uh, well, maybe not as effective on the score sheet, but as effective as a, as a second-line center. So, and they have Victor Hedman. And, and Victor Hedman, I, I think, is the difference in this series. Aaron Ekblad is great, don't get me wrong, but I think Victor Hedman is just better. And, and then you have Sergachev, and, and it goes from there. And they're a bigger team. I just don't think the torch is ready to be passed off just yet. I think Tampa is going to go for... Uh, one more run at this, and it's going to come down to them playing Carolina. So uh, Tampa in six for me. Jeff. <clears throat> what can I add here? I would say um, I'm first – I'm, I'm going I, – I tend to agree with with uh, with, uh, with Scott in that I do think fatigue is ca- going to catch up to Tampa. I think, and you know, I think this is not the ne- – like that was an emotional series for them against Toronto. Um I felt like, you know, Vasilevsky was, was human. You know, everyone talks about him being the best goal, and he certainly is. He had a sub-900 save percentage in the series and really only showed up in Game 7, uh, where you could, you know, argue I think he stole a game. Um, but Sergei Bobrovsky kind of had a similar story with Florida this past series. So, like, goaltending is going to be a key one. Bobrovsky, I think, if I recall correctly, when these guys met in the playoffs last year, he got pulled twice in three games against the lightning so we'll see if he's got any of that uh you know whatever feelings from last season uh and i think it's going to be a special team battle you know if you if if you're going to give tampa bay an opportunity to go to the power play they're going to roast you so um i think that they're the panthers are a a more disciplined team uh i think that's going to be you know it's going to be one five on five uh so long as they remain disciplined but i think at the end of the day it's going to go down to goaltending and vasileski continues to play the way he's been playing this playoffs i think it's florida in five or six so i've got my concerns with florida i voiced them before all that said i take a look at that tampa um toronto series and i think toronto was the better of the two teams i know i think that tampa pulled it out because with that veteran savvy but i think once you get to that stage like over the last couple cup runs that we saw tampa go on even though they went to you know game seven against that islanders team um i don't think that we saw a point in in that 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 tampa wasn't clearly the better team uh and, and so i think once you get to the, that stage where you're starting to use the tricks to get past the team, that's when I think you're starting to see the end of this coming or unraveling. And I will say this. I thought John Cooper did a phenomenal job coaching that team in the first round. I thought he brought out a lot of motivational tricks. I thought that line that he had in game seven where, you know, he said something about like, Oh, would we be okay with, you know, is it, is it easier to walk away with this having won two cups? We're standing here on the precipice of greatness and we're going to walk away. Like, I don't think so. So I I thought that he came in and and did a phenomenal job to coach this team over the line. But Tampa to me looked vulnerable in ways in that Toronto series that I haven't seen them look vulnerable in the past. I do think they're tired. I think it's a lot of hockey they've been playing. I think it's, you know, you know, especially because of the bubble and all those kind of things that's added to this. I think they're a tired hockey team. Braden Point being out, it, 
you know, not or not knowing what's happening with him is huge. But I, I think it's as simple as this. And th- Ken, I think that you nailed it. This, these two teams played, I thought, the best hockey of the playoffs, the 2021 playoffs. Last season was the first round series between the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think Florida did learn lessons from that. And I think what's going to happen this time is it's kind of like the young buck fighting the old buck, right? And they clash and the young buck gets overpowered. I think what's going to happen is when they lock horns this year, Florida's going to see that the old man isn't as tough as he was last year, right? And I think that what happens in that series is when they feel the little bit of weakness that I think Tampa showed in that series against Toronto that wasn't there last year, I think that's going to be a confidence builder. And I think even though it's going to be tough, I think as this series wears on, it's going to head in the direction of the Florida Panthers. I've got Florida winning it in six to turn the tables on Tampa and what they did last season. Um, guys, is that is consensus? Any- is, that, is that the one consensus of us? Because you heard no, it. Scott, no, it's I went to Tampa. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, put your house on it. But yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> there we go. Never um, before we do go, guys, uh, Jeff and Scott, I just wanted to offer your thoughts today on Elliot Friedman's report that uh, uh, Barry Trotz met with the Jets. Jeff, start off. Fascinating. So, does the first interview mean something, or is it? I have two two trains of thought. One. Uh, it's a great position because you get an opportunity to, to dazzle him, you know, wow him or whatever. And, and I also think part of it too is him agreeing to, you know, to make Winnipeg first in his process. I think that, that speaks to something. Now, yeah. <laughs> what it speaks to could be a couple different things. One, his, gener- you know, his genuine interest in, uh, you know, in coming to Winnipeg potentially and hearing out what they have to say. Because, I mean, let's face it, guys, with how much he's, you know, going to be coveted by other teams, there was a chance that he wouldn't even meet with the Jets if he wasn't serious, right? Because you can use that sentiment that why would he waste Winnipeg's time um, or his own time for that matter. The other thing, though, is maybe you go to the Winnipeg Jets because you think he's going to be the highest offer and then you leverage it with another team. And yeah, so that's yeah. my other thought is that, okay, the Winnipeg Jets just rolled out the red carpet, offered me this, 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 and this. How close are you going to come to doing that? So I have kind of two trains of thoughts. I've heard a couple different things in the last few days. People have reached out. Uh, you know, I'm hearing Barry Trotz is nearing towards retirement. What does that mean? Obviously, he's getting up there in age. What would he want out of what, what, what might be a final gig? Um, it's going to be fascinating. I think at this situation, and I've said this, you know, on shows in the past that if, you know, when it comes to Barry Trotz, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets should be offering him whatever he wants, you know, making it like, you know, I saw a comment there too. I think it was Bartley Kivas on Twitter. It's, you know, the Jets are interviewing Winnipeg, but, you know, I think Trotz is interviewing, you know, Winnipeg for whether or not he wants to come here. It's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be a, anyways, all roundabout way of saying it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'd be love to be a fly on the wall for that kind of negotiation, but uh, I guess we'll wait and see. But I, you know, I have to think at this point, it's at the very least a decent sign that he's willing to sit down and hear what the Winnipeg Jets have to say. Scotty. Yeah. A couple things. One, uh, I think it speaks volumes that he came here first. And, and, And part of that is, I, you know, I give credit to the team for making it happen the week after the day, you know, a couple of days after they uh, trots his self-imposed kind of, you know, dark period where he was just going to take some time to think to get him here first, I think shows, um, you know, from the team's perspective, a little bit of uh, initiative, of course, 
something that they you know they need to see. Um, but I, you know, I also think that Kelly McCrimmon has taken a huge stab at this. He fired Pierre DeBoer the day before these interviews are starting to start. So you better hope that the offer there was uh, was big. Um, I, I don't know if money makes at big a factor. Obviously, it's a it's a big factor. Uh, I don't think it's the biggest factor for Barry Trotz. Um, and the other thing with it is, you know, is there? And he talked about there, or at least Elliot did, or somebody else talked about him maybe wanting to move into management. There's two things that are going to happen in Winnipeg um, eventually, and and one of them is, uh, well, one of them coming here is knowing that this team is loyal and he's not going to lose his job in a year if they don't make the playoffs or don't get out of the first round. Um, you know, that's something that will ha- that can happen in Vegas. We've seen that. Um, I don't think there's any job security in Las Vegas uh, with the Golden Knights. And uh, guaranteed contracts, it's job security whether he gets. Well, I I get that, but you still want to coach the team, right? You don't want to just go there for a year and then just get booted to the side. Yeah, you still make your money, but that doesn't that doesn't it doesn't help you move forward as a head coach. Um, So I think here he's he's offered not only some security uh, to turn this team around, um, but also the fact that there might be a room for him to be you know, president of hockey ops one day or even GM potentially. Um, and if that's something that he wants to kind of slow down in, into a role that's not the day-to-day grind of coaching an NHL team, I think that happens in, in Winnipeg. And, you know, you're, it's, uh, you know you're, it's where you're from. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's just a lot to be said about taking on a new challenge. And that new challenge is taking a fractured dressing room, trying to mend it, trying to win a home uh, you know a stanley cup in your home essentially your hometown your home province um you know does it mean any more for him to win a stanley cup in vegas i'm not sure he's already won one so you know d- is it vegas do you want just another stanley cup or do you want that stanley cup to really you know mean something more than just you know winning it in vegas i, I think there's a legacy factor here too and if he can do it here i mean there's gonna be statues i mean all the all these types of things right i mean that's that's what you get when you're the hometown coach or the hometown player or whatever. Um, I think it's a big deal for Barry Trotz. It, it's more than just money for him. I think it's opportunity and, uh, you know, your lasting legacy. Guys, uh, I'm going to try and shut this down before we hit the 130 mark. So, uh, Hammy, Scotty, thanks so much for joining us. Great job as usual. We'll check in with you guys next round if you'll join us. I hope you do. Uh, chat room, really appreciate you showing up. Uh, last thing before we go, I'm just going to quickly pump our merchandise here. If you want to go check out any of our Kenny and Rennie stock, we've got it at www.shopsportsnet.store. Uh, and stay tuned for more in this space. Nice, nice, Abby. Uh, and Scotty. Uh, I figured, yeah. I saw Kenny was wearing a wake-up shirt, so I didn't want to, you know, be twinsy on it, you know. There you team, go. Team Sean, I know how it is. I know how it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This Friday and Friday. Five o'clock. We're going to be going through that again as they play the Edmonton Oil Kings. It's going to be a great series. Other than that, we've got some stuff brewing. Haven't quite nailed it down, uh, but pay attention. We'll let you know on our Twitter feeds. But pay attention to this space because we may have more coming. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Enjoy the second round.